On today's episode of Hungry for Wisdom, a river is a spring of vitality. Unless it's a death trap. And by river, I mean a romantic relationship with the opposite sex. Speaking of which, this one is a hard PG-13. And Dustin obviously doesn't like the Rolling Stones. Something to do with Satanism or bad music or Satanism or... I don't know. We'll see. It's episode 80. Turn it up! The Rolling Stones, huh? Not a fan. Calling them out. Yeah. He names names, people. He names names. Well, I mean, if you're going to suck at music, that's one thing. And if you're going to be a Satanist, that's another thing. But do you have to do both? Dropping the bombs. Listen, if I ever hear another Rolling Stones song, it'll be too soon. Like, I used to feel bad for the guy. Like, I'd hear Mick Jagger sing, and I'm like, dude, if it's that much effort, just stop. Nobody's making you do this. I'll never be a beast. Like, are you in pain? Who has a gun to your head and is making you do this? (laughs) I don't know, dude. I don't like those guys. Neil Diamond, actually. I I don't know. I've never like sat and listened to Neil Diamond, but I have, which is amazing for a guy with a rock and roll background that I've been able to avoid him. But I've been in like um, in stores and then the, the Muzak that you hear, you know, the, the background music. Yeah. It, um, sometimes I'm like, gosh, this song is so annoying. When's it going to be over? And then I'll Shazam it and realize this is a Neil Diamond song. <laughs> That's happened to me like five times. I don't know why. I just before I even know it's him, I just find him to be yeah. so obnoxious. You know, you don't. You don't. But do you ever feel like when you see a, a red door that you just have to paint it black? <laughs> Sometimes when I see a beaver, I want to slap it with his own tail. That's what I want to do. Ow! Pastor Castor, I'm here with the bearded beaver, <laughs> Pastor Ben, and I'm so happy to be here with you, man. Despite what I just said. <laughs> 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 yeah, man. Episode 80. 80. All right. Episode 80 is dedicated to cities that don't regulate fireworks. Now, this isn't going to get released for a while, but as of the time of this recording, we just had the 4th of July, and mm. West Richland is a wonderland. God bless America, It was man. fantastic. By, by uh, you know, 11 o'clock at night, it was like the fireworks were the only thing you could see through the smoke. Oh, so so here's the funny part. So again, I you know recently, um, I recently immigrated up here as a political refugee from California. Welcome to the melting pot. <laughs> yeah, and so we we came up, and the first our first Fourth of July, we weren't in West Richland, we were in Richland, which regulates kind of. Okay. <laughs> they they attempt to regulate their fireworks displays, right? And and we were still in shock of how much aerial bombardment was happening yeah. right we were on our front lawn just aghast it was amazing it was really quite fun and my boys my boys eyes were like so big it was impressive and then we went and then and so my daughter uh, moved up here and she was like okay well, yeah, it's fourth of july we gonna do something i said i don't think you understand the fourth <laughs> of july up here it is it is something to behold and and i'm telling her all of my experience and it's like you know it's crazy you got guys and gators going up and down the street with roman candles shooting out of either side of the vehicle yeah and, I mean, the, and the cops are just waving the cops are just waving they're like you know and and so my wife goes now honey i think you're overselling it just a little bit then we went over to a brother's house Sunday night Sunday, and oh my gosh. And it was just glorious. I yep. mean, so much flame and explosions and things like that. And so I turned to my daughter about halfway through and she goes, and I go, so, uh, how you doing? Did I oversell it? She goes, no. And I said, good. Cause this is still part of the pregame. Yeah. And then, <laughs> and then it started hitting. about 10 o'clock. It gets rolling. Oh my, you know, yeah. just the, 
the haze and the smell of gunpowder yep. in the air. It's like a Snoop Dogg concert. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> God bless America, baby. <laughs> D-O-double-J. D-O-double-J. And the U.S. of Izay. All right. Uh, what are we doing here? I don't know. Some wisdom? No. Snoop Dogg impersonations. Let's do those instead. Proverbs 5. Hey. Bible. I got to calm down. Uh, not because it's Bible, because I got to be like serious at some point. Proverbs 5, 15 through 17. Drink water from your own cistern and fresh water from your own well. Should your springs be dispersed abroad? Streams of water in the, in the streets? Let them be yours alone and not for strangers with you. This passage could be summarized with one sound. That is the sound of your hand getting smacked when you're reaching into the sexual cookie jar. And Solomon says no. All this stuff in Proverbs 5 is in the context of the adulterous woman. And Solomon's point here is simple. Fellas, when you get the urge to merge, look to your own woman, not to someone else's. And I say woman here instead of wife uh, very specifically because while you only get to have sex with your wife, it's really easy for you to look to another woman that doesn't belong to you whether or not she belongs to somebody else. She might not even be somebody else's wife, but she is still not your woman. And that doesn't mean she's up for grabs either. Why? Because she's not yours. Obviously, it's wrong to covet another man's wife. See the 10th commandment for this eternal moral law. Uh, But it's equally as evil to want, pursue, seduce, or sleep with an unmarried woman. She's not yours. So Solomon's like, yo, dog, I know a cold drink of water sounds nice, but... You're only allowed to draw from your own well. Because if you're going to take somebody else's water, there are natural consequences to that, and you cannot avoid them. And you're not going to like them. Look at verse 16. Should your springs be dispersed abroad, streams of water in the streets? Okay, so the image here is one of a mighty river becoming a trickle on the side of a street gutter. This this river is a life-giving force, and there's a reason that every civilization starts near a water source, and it's often a river. Mesopotamia springs up around the Tigris uh, Tigris and Euphrates. Egypt springs up around the Nile. Tri-Cities springs up around this place where the Columbia and the Snake River and the Yakima River meet. The Amazon jungle is the most biodiverse place in the world, and it's named after the main river that sustains it. You can channel this energy because there's just a ton of it. You can redirect it for irrigation. You can fish in it. You can wash things in it. You can even just go and have some fun in it, and it serves for your uh, you know, community and recreational purposes. Rivers are incredible. Now, thought experiment. Take that river, lift it up in the sky, put it over a city, and drain the river onto the city. Okay, Slowly. The waterway, which had so much power and life-giving energy, ends up being a trickle here and a puddle there and an inconvenience in somebody's yard and a drag on the sewer system. All that bio-beauty and that generative and regenerative energy is gone. Now, the water's getting polluted by street grime as it trickles pointlessly from a nasty road to an even nastier parking lot where it will sit until the sun comes out and evaporates it all, never to be thought of again. It used to be the mighty Columbia River. And now it doesn't even have a name. Children used to play in this river, but now people cuss when they step in it. Oh, how the mighty fall. So Solomon's point here is, that's the level of waste when a man goes outside of the marriage bed to find sweet loving. You're not going to get what you're looking for. You're just going to lose whatever vigor you already have. Oh, and by the way, it gets worse. Let's look at verse 17. Let them be yours alone 
and not for strangers with you. So if a man gives his sexual vigor to somebody who is not his wife, then other people end up with his strength? How does that work? Well, here's what he's saying. Look, guys, life is competitive, okay? Manhood is competitive. Now, a lot of young guys approach this competition of life in such a way that they they think that sexual conquest is a mark of winning in the competition, but all they see is the momentary chase that ends up in bed with an adulteress, right? They don't see the end of it, and that's what Solomon is telling you here. The accumulation of momentary pleasures that are not his to have, he stole them from somebody else, and that's going to come home to roost. The memories of that night with that girl, those memories don't belong to you young man. They belong to her and her future husband or current husband. The man stole those moments, those memories from somebody. So Solomon's point is he's going to end up without the very thing that he stole from somebody else. In the end, it's going to come around. He will lose the competitive. uh, He will, I should say say it this way. He's going to lose the competition that he's trying to win. You're going to end up being one of those sad old guys still bragging about the stories from when he was young and still trying to exude a sexual prowess that is long gone. I made the mistake of uh, looking up a clip from when Andrew Dice Clay was on Joe Rogan because I was like, oh, Andrew Dice Clay, I haven't heard that name in forever. And it's like a couple comedians talking, right? Well, of course, he's as much of a scumbag as he always was. But it was really sad to watch this guy still try and pull off this character. It was like, dude, you're in your 60s. Like, let it go. Your whole shtick was, I'm 20 and I can get any woman. And now he's 60 and he's still in the same character. It's tragic. It's like, you know, I'd want to give him a hug, but I don't want to get that close to him because I could smell the cologne and cigarette smoke through my computer screen. I, I think about those guys that made a career on that, right? Tom Likas. Where's he at now? Yuck. Gross. Where that wrinkled old rock star still squeezing into his skinny, ripped up jeans that he thought made him look sexy as he walks his bleached haired quasi corpse onto the stage, still shaking his saggy butt in front of the grandma's they've been listening to the same four chord pile of crap rolling stones that they were listening to when they were back on their third divorce pastor ben i'm looking at you keith richards meanwhile the guys who have been married to the same woman for 50 years this is their soundtrack it's feel good music it's not rolling stones <laughs> i'm just gonna keep bashing on these guys i hate him keith richards by the way sidetrack the only guy in the Pirates of the Caribbean cast who had to take his costume off to look like a pirate. <laughs> guys that have been married to the same woman for 50 years and sacrificing for their families are totally eating these guys' lunch, man. They, they've got a house full of grandkids at Christmas time. A smile comes easily, and it doesn't require them to tell the story behind it because they've got that kind of confidence that doesn't need to be justified. And they still have fun in the bedroom in a relationship that's been growing with their wife steadily while Mick Jagger has to start over every night with a different girl from square one. How boring must that get? And if those guys don't produce music, they lose something. They lose the affection of millions. The old faithful husband, he gets to watch his relational net worth increase until the day he dies. So who would you rather be? And by the way, Solomon was Mick Jagger in Israel. Right? Like he's telling you, it kind of sucks. Like you don't want that. So listen to him. Pour into your wife and keep your hand out of the daggum cookie jar, says Solomon. Hi, Pastor Ben. Hello, sir. I don't know why I went off on a Rolling Stones kick when I was writing this episode, but I really don't like those guys. That's okay. I'm not necessarily a huge fan either. It's not. Actually, I can't say that I actually enjoy any song of theirs. Well, that actually, comes to the top of mind. Yeah. There's a scientific reason, like musically, why we don't enjoy their music. Because scientifically, it sucks. 
Oh, there we go. Yeah. That is that is uh, epistemologically sound right there. <laughs> <laughs> okay. How do I know that what I really know is really real? All right. Well, fellow listeners, it is now time for our segment called This Is and That's. And this is where you can send in your questions to have Dustin or I or others answer them. And others. so, well, others, guests, you know, every once oh, in a while we get a guest on that might, true. you know, that might answer a question or provide some insight, you know, things like that. But to ask your question, you can, you can email office at graceandtruthcommunity.com or you could make Dustin furiously check his DMs on Twitter by direct messaging him at GNT, GT micropastor. Uh, and truth social now. Oh, and truth social. Same, same, same handle. G T Micropastor? No. Uh, here it is at Hungry for Wisdom. Okay, so if you want to uh, go for the at Hungry for Wisdom and on Truth Social. The best. The best the ever. The best ever. Nobody does this the like best, I do. S- the- <laughs> but where do you go, honestly? No, you know, I don't. Any, like, we've gotten to the point now where any social media platform you pick is like a broadcast yeah. of some political affiliation. Which is annoying because it just silos all of our conversation. Totally. And it's like you can't you can't interact you can't interact well with an intellectually honest, intellectually honest, you know, liberal. Or an intro because it's all gonna be siloed into this, okay, well I'm either in this echo chamber over here or this echo chamber over there. And Which, these by platforms the way, become echo chambers. Yeah, and I'm fine with that when it comes to memes. I want my oh, sources yes. of memes to be echo chambers. To be sure. Because I don't know why this is. And I think I think people on the left, like I'm a pretty conservative dude, generally speaking, but I want to be fair here. Like I think people on the left who are honest can admit that what I'm about to say is true. The left can't meme. Not very well. I don't know why. It's like, yeah. like even even the, the memes on the the far right, like the libertarian guys, the guys that are just wacko out there, right? Yeah. Um, they're still funny a lot of times. So anyway, I yeah, I would not go to an objective platform yeah. for memes. Well, it's funny because you have like for example, you have those those various parody websites, right? You know, got the yeah. Onion, which for a long time was quite funny, oh, right? Yeah. They 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 talked about how a, a a gal went on a overseas trip and it changed her Facebook page, which was hilarious. <laughs> I mean, was was really good. It was funny, right? And then you have like you know, folks like the Babylon Bee, right? Which again, you know, they are they unapologetically they on the right, exactly. Yep. And I'm finding that you know, and, and I don't think this is because I have an ideological agreement, for example, with the Babylon Bee. But man, it just seems like they just seem to hit a lot of humor. And I look at the other stuff at, at the Onion. I'm going. I'm just not seeing it. How often can you go back to the same well of sex jokes and orange man bad? Yeah. Yeah. I'm just like, okay. So, yeah. yeah. But anyway, so back to our this is and that's. We have three questions today. Now, the first question right out the bat. He's clenching his fist. He's Someone, shaking his and we, we never gave them a name. So, uh, I, will call, I will call them Pat. Pat, but not any Pat that we know. <laughs> All the Pats at Grace and Truth, if you even listen to this, we love you dearly. Oh, but I'm calling... S- I'm call- <laughs> was that an SNL reference from the 80s? Y- yes. 90s? Yes, it was. It's Pat. It's Pat. Yep. All right. So we have... I can't decide which bathroom to go in. Okay. All right. That was so- prescient, though, wasn't it? Oh, interrupt me, so dude, because I'm just going to yeah, keep going. Okay, You're going to so, have to jump in okay. here. So Pat says... I'm not able to stop. 
Trans transgenderism is not expressly forbidden in the scriptures and whatever is not expressly forbidden is allowed so jesus is fine with it right all of a sudden everybody's real big on the regulative principle aren't we (laughs) exactly we covered this in last week's episode the regulative principle says that you're allowed to do what is expressly stated in Scripture, and that's it. It's like there's the walls. If it's not in black and white, you don't get to do it in in a church. And this is kind of like the opposite end of that. Like, well, if it's not expressly um, mentioned, then I can come up with whatever kind of behavior I want, and it, it'll be cool because the apostles didn't think of it or something. First off, um, they did. Actually, here you go. Here's, here's a clear one. 1 Corinthians 16, 13. Be on the alert. Stand firm. Act like men. So there's one. Um, it doesn't say identify as a man. It says act like a man. And it wasn't talking to the women when it said that. And then there's, um, well, okay, let me let me just introduce a concept, then we can go to specific passages mm-hmm. here. Okay. Um, the concept is that well, there's, there's two truths I want us to know. One is God gives moral categories and is not obligated to list off absolutely every... Um, possible deviation from his moral standard he's allowed to lay down a standard and say now deviations are not okay because it violates this moral category categories like image of god what is marriage what is um the uh what is create what is a created order what is the kind after which things bring forth what are the the uh the hard boundaries that he has written into the natural code and what's our level of authority to start monkeying with them so on you know on one hand um, we can, are we allowed to get oil out of the ground and distill it down to gasoline and change its form? There's no biblical principle that that violates. Are you allowed to take a human boy and reduce the elements, remove some of them, and then put some back in until it's a human girl, or you can make a claim that it's a human girl? And the answer is no. Not only do we not have the actual ability to do that, but we don't have the authority to do that, regardless of how good we make science if we could all of a sudden interject an xy chromosome into a girl and make her a boy we still wouldn't have the authority to do that right because we're not the author of life so um yeah so the the idea that because something because a modern concept is not stated and then systematically forbidden in the bible doesn't mean that god's cool with it there are categories of morality that this violates and there are standards and norms that must be maintained that this would undo. And so the undoing of those things is sin. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you think about it, you, you get into those categories, right? Jesus even affirmed these categories. I was thinking the first part of Mark chapter 10, right? When he says, from the beginning, God made them male and female made them. Right. Yeah. But that's only up until 2021. After that, that text expires. Right. No. No. So, uh, sorry. Oh, you learn something new every day. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Yeah. This is pastoral education 203. Um, but when it but when he comes to it, Jesus is affirming that there are males and there are females, right? And they were made not and 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 I might be, you know, pressing the the cuz he's recalling back to the narrative of creation. But there is a male and there's female. But you also have the 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 discussion in Deuteronomy chapter 22 on, you know, don't guys don't dress like girls and girls don't dress like guys apparently that's an abomination it's a crossing of these categories and god said no don't do it along with first corinthians 6 where it says that um effeminate men which that word is it refers to um men who play the female relationship or the the female part in a homosexual relationship Mm -hmm. and he says those guys don't inherit the kingdom of god now you can be forgiven for that right because that's the same Mm -hmm. passage uh where he brings up you know hey 
you have you that pra- used to practice that have been washed and sanctified yep. and so on. But he flat out says like that's a huge no. Yeah, that's a no. You don't get you don't get to pretend to be a girl. Yeah. So I I would disagree strongly with the idea that it's not. Exp- yeah. Okay. You're not going to find a verse that says. You know, thou shalt not take a man and genetically or physically try to form him into a woman, right? And we're not going to find that, but I, I, I think the scripture is pretty clear. Yeah, and you, you got to run away from a lot and do a lot of origami with the pages of your Bible to to yeah. get rid of those passages. Yeah. So, so from that standpoint, and I would and I would say, so Jesus is fine with it. No, I would say Jesus is not fine with it. I think that we don't see that anywhere in the scriptures when he affirms manhood and womanhood and he affirms marriage in the traditional sense and he affirms all the categories that God has designed. You know, I mean, first of all, we also would understand that Jesus being there when they were done, he knows exactly what's going on. So it's, I would say to even make those statements, I don't, I don't think that would be helpful. Now yeah. to to the person who might be struggling in these particular areas, right? You know that you know what the beautiful thing is is that there uh, there is hope and help in the gospel always, right? When we if 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 there's areas where you're you're struggling, if you're listening in this, we I, I don't want to I don't want to sound like we're just coming off you know cold hearted, right? Because Paul even himself says, "And such were some of you." Like what you pull it out, pointed out from First Corinthians chapter six, right? You were washed. And so, in these areas, we certainly can talk through things if there and 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 we can we can bring the gospel to bear. But are we going to say, well, no, that's just okay for you? No, and that would yeah. actually be that would be a disservice to anybody just to saying, okay, well, it's okay that you that that you you feel this way about yourself. We love you too much to go yeah. soft on this idea. Exactly. You know, there's uh, so Second Corinthians five. He he. Uh, brings out very clearly that like, look, if you're in Christ, you're a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. And what happens when we try and make ourselves a new creation, when we try and reform our image, um, it, it winds up doing a lot of destruction. And I don't even need to get into the the medical data that's coming out now about, oh, yeah. you know, gender reassignment surgeries and the effect that that's having. And we're going to be seeing this for decades to come because we've done a lot of damage now. But the fact is God can make you a new creation we don't have the power to do that. Yeah. And so people that are uncomfortable in their own skin, that's like, and that's, that's the term that I hear a lot, right? Like, well, I'm just uncomfortable in this body or whatever. Like, yeah. And there's a solution to that. I mean, that, that's gotta be torturous. I don't know what that feels like to feel like I was born into the wrong body, but I know what it feels like to be made new. And b- what was happening before that doesn't matter to me anymore. Yeah. You know, because it's like, I've been, I've been given something that at the time I didn't even know to seek for. If somebody's seeking for it, man, the offer's right there. Yeah. So I think that's I think that's where the scriptures would would lay down on it and I think that it's it's I think it's important that we hold to that. You know, and 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 so Jesus would not be fine with it and we just want to be clear on that. Um from Daniel. This would be our second question. From Daniel, he says, "Are or he asks, all are all of the spiritual gifts mentioned in the New Testament or are there other spiritual gifts? Oh, how weird do we want to get here? Yeah. Uh, so we always joke about having the spiritual gift of sarcasm and, you know, whatever. But, um, yeah. okay. I I actually don't know if you and I agree on this. This is going to be another one of those. I am of the opinion that not every spiritual gift is mentioned in the Bible. There are others that we can probably see and discover and acknowledge before we could even name or label them. My starting point here is this. You've got these different lists of scriptures that talk about, that give, um, you've got these different lists in scripture 
that list off spiritual gifts. And the lists are not the same. So 1 Corinthians 12, there's a big fat list. Ephesians 4, there's another list. Um, Romans 12, there's another list. 1 Peter 2, you get two categories. Or 1 Peter 4, you get two categories. So I guess that's not a list. But those are at least three lists of spiritual gifts in the Bible. And there's differences between them. Which means that he, if, if there was a comprehensive list that's like, hey, this is it. He didn't give it to the Corinthians and he didn't give it to the Romans, and he didn't give it to the Ephesians, right? So it seems like he's listing off examples of what this, you know, what categories we're to be thinking of, thinking in, what this generally looks like, things like that. But yeah, if there was if there was one list full stop and that was it, people were not going to be spiritually gifted outside of these specific gifts. He probably, like, he wouldn't want any of those churches to miss out on any of that information, right? So for that reason, I'm like, okay, these lists are representative, not comprehensive. And then... That scores away really well with my experience. And you guys got to be careful. We don't want to get our theology from our experience, but we do understand that the Bible explains the world around us. And so when your experience matches up with the Bible, that's good. Now you've tested your experience and you can know that, you know, you're on some solid footing here. You're understanding things accurately. My ex- in, in my experience, um, there are people who have spiritual gifts that I don't know how to categorize biblically. So I knew a guy that was... Um, he was the church health, church growth consultant was his title um, for the Northwest Baptist Convention, which sounds like, you know, kind of a cheesy job. Like when I heard that we have one of those, I'm just like, why are we doing that? Just let pastors do their jobs, right? Turns out this guy was absolutely brilliant at helping pastors, uh, seeing around corners and telling them like, hey, you're going to run into these problems here. And he helped the health of the church. He helped us a lot when we were getting started here. Um, he's not around anymore, but uh, he, he helped us a ton and he was very gifted. He just had this kind of like, like intuition as to what the struggles were, what they were going to be, and what steps we uh, we as pastors needed to take in order to shepherd well in those situations. And I used to learn a lot from that guy, and it was extremely fruitful. And when I'm watching him do his job, I'm like, that that's spiritual fruit that's happening. And it was reliable coming from this guy. So I'm like, that looks like a gifting to me. Problem is, it was a parachurch organization. I don't have an ecclesiological category for that. Yeah. You know what I mean? He wasn't exactly a missionary. He's not a bishop in the first through fourth century sense of the term because he didn't have authority over pastors. He was just a resource and a heck of a good one. He was very gifted at it. So anyway, all that to say, in my experience, which is secondary and less important, I, I see, and I've seen many different examples of this, things where areas where people are gifted that I don't think match up neatly with the lists in scripture. And we've got differing lists in scripture, which suggests to me that they're not comprehensive. Yeah. I, <laughs> so again, this, that, that's one of the things about this being just off the dome, right? You know, yeah. so I'm sitting there trying to vocally process this a little bit. I, Kick it around. Yeah, I don't, <clears throat> I wouldn't necessarily disagree with that where I might put the cautionary statement on is, is, you know, are we, uh, is there, is there a point where someone could, you know, invent a spiritual gift that is not there? And I, you know, I'm, I, you know, this, and, and I, I don't, I don't have a good, I don't have a good concrete example of that, you know, other than, you know, wow, someone has this spiritual gift of programming, you know, they programmed a website that was, no, I mean, amazing, we've seen stuff know? like this. I've seen yeah. pastors of marketing. Yeah. What the frick is a pastor of marketing? Yeah. Right. It's like, but, oh, well, that's a spiritual gift. I'm like, based on yeah. what? I think the only thing that I would, you know, that, but but what I do find interesting is the is the the regulative principle of the gifts for the common good, 
right? So that the body of Christ is built up. Even you think of uh, the, the the short list in um, Ephesians chapter four, right? What's the what's the reason for it? Why does he give some to be evangelists and pastors? Verse and twelve, like that. That the, that the body of Christ, right? That we would be built up to do the ministry, right? For the work of the ministry. So, so you know, are the there are these grace gifts, right? That these these gifts that God gives to His people for the purpose of building up his church to do the work of the ministry, the spreading of the gospel, right? That would yeah. be, you know, and, and, and maybe even the maintaining of the gospel within the body of Christ, right? That we're all built up. That's, that's where, I, that's the regulative, that's, that's probably the real regulative principle that I would go on. What's the point of the gift? The point of the gift is so that the body of Christ is, is, is matured. Is let me, growing. let me go a step deeper on that. Um, agreeing with what you're saying, but I think we can still get ourselves into trouble there because guys that are crafty can justify their gift by saying, I build up the body of Christ like this. And their definition of building up might be, I mean, whatever, because that's not yeah. super well-defined in Ephesians. It's a general principle that's thrown out there. Yeah. What does it mean to build up the body of Christ? Well, I think um, when you take a look at the fruit that is born through somebody using these gifts, is that Great Commission fruit or not? So if you've got a seeker-sensitive church, for example, the, the attractional model, and they've got a pastor of marketing, and they say, well, I'm building up the body of Christ by growing the body of Christ through... Search through, engine optimization. Yeah, through getting the word out there and things like that, right? Um, they could make that case, but then it's then the, the question even below that would be, okay, what is the effect that this is having in terms of spiritual fruit? Are we making disciples? Are disciples growing, maturing, and reproducing? Are we, yep. um, are we accomplishing the Great Commission through this, or are we just collecting a bunch of people? And so I think you do have to look at, and this is not to disagree with what you're saying. This is actually, I think, to absorb that and then push it to another sure. another level is to say, you know, not everything that you're good at is a spiritual gift. Yeah. And you can't just throw that in the Bible and say, I'm gifted at X because I'm competent. No, what, how is God using that to bear fruit through you? So, yeah. So if, if I adopt those caveats, then it has to be for the building up of the body of Christ right? For the, the demonstrable yep. good of the church. Mm -hmm. And there has to be fruit that is demonstrably um, great commission oriented in its nature. If we can do those things, would you personally, and no wrong answer here, I'm just mm -hmm. trying to see where you're at. Would you personally say, okay, I can affirm a spiritual gift that I don't have a biblical quote to label? Hmm. I'm not sure. Okay. I, 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 have, I have a hesitancy on that, but I do think that in all of that, you know, going Basically, from what Paul is talking about in First Corinthians chapter twelve, transitioning into thirteen is the more excellent way. Is that 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 love needs to undergird all of that and you know, all of the exercise, even of those gifts, right? So, if the gift is exercised in a way that 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 does that is that is either you know building up someone's own personal, like you know, I have this gift, I I have the gift of prophecy. Yeah. Listen, everybody, to look me. at me you know, exactly. Yeah. Versus a genuine self. A, a genuine love, which Paul seems to plant right in the middle of a discussion about the use of the gifts, mm -hmm. is that I would I would say that that's not 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 to I don't know where I can't, where I, I actually I lost my train of thought where we're going. But no, that's all right. Than, I think I got it. So yeah. I'll, I'll pick it up and, and yeah. chug a chug a chug along. Um, so First Corinthians twelve, these people with these gifts depend on each other to do their function the way that a body does. Right, my left leg depends on my right one because my left leg yep. is not holding all of my weight, right? Um, now, it could, it could for a while, but I wouldn't be able to walk, so the two legs need each other. So 
that's maybe like a marker of, you know, hey, does does this gift equip the the body to actually do its job, right? Mm-hmm. So I found this, this is actually a known biblical gift with a, with a known biblical name, the gift of discernment, right? Mm-hmm. There are people that when we're, when we're hiring somebody, when we were hiring you, I made sure that certain people were on that team because they've got the gift of discernment. They yeah. can, they can sniff out a, a deceptive spirit in somebody long yeah. before other people. And it's like, I want that dude in the room, right? So that's the body of Christ doing its job. Oh yeah. So that, that's one way to, to mark the gifts. Is it, is it used in love? Does the, um, does God use it for his body to yes. be um, effective, does it build up the body? Is there actual fruit? Yeah, and then what's the heart behind it and all those things, yeah. Absolutely. Well, I mean, if you think about it, you know, I think about the benefit of having you know a, a brother who's got the gift of discernment alongside someone who's got the gift of faith, right? You know, because nice. then, you know, someone's like, yeah, totally, but let's not forget God is in this equation, right? And, and, and he can and will do things that are more amazing than we can ever think of, whereas sometimes, especially, I think of some folks who are, who I know have the gift who either have the gift of discernment or are, are discerning, sometimes they also can be a little bit skeptical mm-hmm, <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and that can, and, and that can outweigh that. Right. So to have another brother saying, okay, yeah, you're right. Okay. We discern this. We, 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 we eat the meat, spit out the bones, whatever. Right. But look at what God is doing. Right. And we see the evidence of that. Right. And, and also what could God do? Oh, wow. You know, and, 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 and God is doing these things. You want to, you want to hold on to that. Otherwise we just become all we all become discernment bloggers. Yeah. Well, okay. So would you, and you can tell me to just quit picking at you. I'm just curious. No, pick me all you want. Um, the, to my knowledge, the gift of prayer is not mentioned in the Bible. That's mentioned as a responsibility that everybody has. Right. But there are people in our church that we would have a hard time arguing if somebody pointed at him and said, that person has the gift of prayer. Like they, they seem uniquely gifted to carry this specific load and the answers to their prayers seem to be, you know, divinely, um, plentiful <laughs> more so than mm-hmm. other people. Same as with the gift of evangelism where it's like, yeah, we've all got the responsibility to evangelize, yes. but some people, man, it just kind of pops like what's up. Right. And so I, I have always kind of made the assumption that there is a, that there are certain people that are uniquely gifted in prayer. They can pray for six hours all night, no problem. I can do that sometimes, but it's not like my comfort zone, right? Um, and th- that's just sort of what they do. So anyway, wh- what do you think about that? If, if I were to say, hey, this person seems to have the gift of prayer, let's, let's get them on it. Oh, well, Would I, you tell me to pump the brakes? Or at least like reframe my categories? It, I, yeah, I might. So is that, is that really a, a quote category of a spiritual gift? You know, that I, wouldn't, I wouldn't know right off right now just sitting here, I go, I'm not sure about that. Okay. But I also would say, I know people that I, that I know people that are in my family that have that particular, whatever that is. They fit I mean, that description. When, when they ask God of something of God, he just seems to listen. And I'm not saying he doesn't listen to me or anything, right. but it's, it's amazing. You know, we were, we were, you know, one time my wife and I, we were, we were driving up here from California, not, to Washington, but actually to Oregon. And all of a sudden we hit pea soup fog. And, and so we called this particular family member and just, look, we really need you to pray. Cause this is just really hard. I mean, it's slowing us down and it's dangerous. And within like 20 minutes, it just lifted and it lifted in the area though, where, where it wouldn't, you would not expect it to lift. You know, there's, there's that Valley in, in I five near Roseburg where it just gets socked in. Yeah. And all of a sudden it's as clear as day. 
right? And we were just like, what is up? Because God sent that? an angel from Persia, and you know how fast they can fly? <laughs> Call back to last week. Oh, my gosh. All right. So, I mean, what I, you know, and maybe that's maybe that's an aspect of the gift of faith. I don't know. I mean, you know, that, that, I no, that's look, a good point, actually. Yeah. yeah. So, so is it, you know, so I would, I would just want to, I'd look at those categories, and I go, okay. And the only reason I would be careful is because, again, you don't want to get into, like, well, I can invent, you know, the spiritual gift of, of Twitter or, <laughs> or something <laughs> Which like that. Which we, we have demonstrated that I do not have. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, but, and, and there's a sense in which it kind of doesn't matter. Like, we're sort of splitting hairs. Because, and I don't want to say this discussion doesn't matter. It does, because this is our hermeneutic. This is how we interpret Scripture. And we want to make sure, like 1 Corinthians 4 says, to not go beyond what is written. So it's important to find the boundaries. However, I will also say for everybody else, if if God seems to use somebody in a certain way and the church will benefit from that, go and use them. And you can figure out your terminology later as to whether you want to call that a spiritual gift or not. Yeah. Right? But there's a lot of people that do things that we, we just depend on for certain stuff. Yeah. And it's like, you know, I mean, these are... I, I almost said his name. Our geek and deacon. Yeah. Does, does he have a spiritual gift for technology? Because when he, it doesn't mean he's better at it than everybody else. Although he kind of is. But it, like if, but even if he wasn't, does God produce fruit when yeah. he's putting his hand to the plow in that thing? Which is how I tell people to look for a spiritual gift. Yeah. And it looks like God does. Now, would I say he's got the spiritual gift of tech? I feel like that would be a bit of a stretch because yeah. we're operating outside of biblical categories when we say tech. But of service and helps, absolutely. He's a deacon, right? Yeah. So yeah, it's so the terminology you can quibble and, and it can catch up later. But just to, just because we don't know if if it's right to think of this in terms of a spiritual gift doesn't mean that you shouldn't doesn't mean that you should be hesitant to do what you can do to help the body of Christ. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. All right. So last question from a very insightful teenager. Mm. Okay, did Jesus? the second person of the Trinity, exist as, quote, son before his earthly birth. Yes. <laughs> yes, I would agree. <laughs> that was easy. Well, I mean, if, if you, you think about it, I, I, was, I was recently discussing this with another, with another fellow believer. We were talking about this, and, and you have, you, you see in the scriptures that, yeah, there was, that you'd see the second person of the Trinity existing, right? And he was with God in the beginning mm-hmm. and all of that. But you even even when you see all that, you you don't see him named as Jesus there. It's when he receives his name of Jesus, he's Jesus before right. he was God the Son. He okay, was so, with God in the beginning. And that's the question, right? Yes. Did he, he existed, right? He, he yes. existed from eternity. Did he exist as Son yeah. or was Sonship something that was given to him was he was sonship a new title or category that came with his incarnation oh see that's a good see so that one there, there's an old doctrine um that has been referred to well it's really old because it's true from eternity but the our uh, our articulation of this has been the eternal generation of the son so before god before the second person of the trinity was born into human flesh and he went around and telling everybody, I'm God's son, yep. right? I'm the only son of God. Was he the son of God the Father before that? In other words, did the father-son relationship exist in the Trinity before Jesus was born, before the incarnation? And the answer to that is yes. So when you look at, um, the, uh, when you look at John 14 through 16, um, dang it, did I do it again? I, I, I no, oh, I'm okay. just thinking the same way. I was gonna, That's good. I was gonna say, I'm always doing this to you where you're flipping somewhere in the Bible and I just like, and I'm out with it and like, I got to chill. Anyway, John 14 through 16, 
Jesus lays out this beautiful relationship where he proceeds from the Father and the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father and the Son. And these are eternal relationships where in the very next chapter, in chapter 17, he's going to say, you know, I want, I, want the, the glory, I want the glory that I had with you before the world was. So what's the glory that Jesus had with God the Father before the world was? Well, it's explained in the previous three chapters, in John 14, 15, and 16, that it is a preceding type of um, uh, glory, right? It's, it's, a, it's a glory that is found within relationship. And this relationship is one of, of eternal dependence, which does not mean that Jesus was created at any given point. It means that he, he continually and joyfully draws his um, creation, his, draws his essence, I mean, from the Father. There was never a beginning point to it, and there will never be an end point to it. That's just the nature of the relationship. And the Spirit eternally and joyfully draws his being from the Father and the Son together, which I, is, is kind of beyond me mentally, but that's the way Jesus describes it. So, yes, there was always a, it's like a, um, when we think of dependence, we think of that as a weakness, right? Like, if you're dependent on somebody, you're weak. God the Son is dependent on God the Father, but not as a weakness, it's it's as a glory. That is one of his glorious attributes, is that he eternally draws his being from, he eternally draws his eternal being from the eternal father. And he loves it that way. So that's just the relationship. There's that kind of love and connection and, and sharing. And they are, I mean, so much so that they are one father, son, and Holy spirit are actually one. And yet there's distinction within this one where you've got three persons that are all infinitely and um, eternally related to each other, even to the point where it it's, it's, dependency yeah right like dependency without a lack imagine that mm-hmm. i don't lack anything yet i'm depending on you for something yeah that's great. <gasps> kind of like a marriage that is true yeah to a point yeah yeah but if we but if we you know again just getting into the particulars right did the second person of the trinity as they were creating the planet with god the father were they known as jesus and I would be it, like, mm. was wait. In other words, was the second person of the Trinity was he known? Was he Jesus at that point? Well, okay, not by name. Yes, exactly. That's okay. what I mean. Yeah, the name right. Jesus showed up when he was born. Yes, right. The angel right. said, "Hey, you're going to name your, your kid yeah. Jesus." And Joseph and Mary were like, "Roger that. His name yeah. is Jesus." But yeah, the the name came later. The his, his essence is eternal. Yes. Yeah. Agreed. Yeah. And you see that in John chapter one, right? So in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. And then in chapter three, it says that he gave his only son, his only, it, it's, it's mono, uh, monogenesis, right? His only generating, his only generated son, begotten son, which doesn't necessarily mean that there was a beginning point to the, re, to the generation. It just means that the, the nature of this son is that he is begotten by the father. So this is what's called the eternal generation of the son. He is eternally begotten. And that's why you're going to see that in the, the um, classic creeds and confessions, right? You see the Nicene Creed, the Athanasian Creed, and so on, uh, the, the uh, Chalcedonian Confession. He, was, he is eternally begotten. And they call him the eternal son. Because when you take all of these scriptures, John 1, John 3, John 14, 15, 16, and 17. Come to think of it, it's a whole lot of John. Um, and also uh, Revelation. He's the first, the last, and the living one. And they glorify him as as the son, right? It, which is also John. Which, which <laughs> Also written by John. Fair point. Um, 
Yeah. Well, and okay. Here's one not written by John Isaiah 53. Yeah. Right. Um, so you've got this, this sonship characteristic, which when you put all of these verses together, cannot have started at any time. Yeah. It has to go back to eternity past. So yeah, Jesus. Yeah. Okay. God, the son exists eternally as the son. Yeah. And the, the cool thing about that, again, you know, getting into is who was worthy to take up the scroll. John writes mm-hmm. that, right? Why was he worthy, right? He came, he was slain before the foundation of the world. It was purposed. I mean, you know, his purpose to save us was from the foundations of the world. Mm-hmm. So, and, and again, he is risen from the dead, right? So if he, you know, all of those things, I, I, the reason I bring this up is these are theological categories, but let's not forget that we're talking about an actual awesome person. Come on now. You know, and, and if, we, if this does not filter into a, oh my gosh, this Jesus is so amazing, right? Or you can't like scream up the, the Christ hymn of, of, of Colossians chapter one, right? If, if, if that doesn't perk up your soul, there's something wrong, right? So these are good theological discussions to have, but man, we have someone who came and took on our sin and who is now seated at the right hand of God Almighty, who's worthy to hold on to that scroll. He deserves everything. Ben, there's a uh, likely objection that would come up to this, though, which would be Hebrews chapter 1, verse 5. It would say this, For to which of the angels did God ever say, You are my son, today I have begotten you? Or again, I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me. Wouldn't that seem like there's a beginning to the sonship of the second person of the Trinity? God says it's starting now, right? No. So let me just kind of chew on this thing that I just bit off here. Um, That is, so Hebrews 1, that is quoting Psalm 110, which is an eternally true passage. So there's never been a point in all of eternity past where God the Father could not say, today I I am begetting my son, because he's eternally begotten, right? Begotten before all ages. So um, when he is, when, when God the Son is being begotten by God, that's an eternal truth. When you're dealing with a mother and a child, you know, like a child being born, you're dealing with a a being with limits, giving birth to another being with limits. There's edges between these two personages, and when the baby is born, it is no longer in the mother's womb. There's there's a separation there. When you're dealing with infinities rather than finite humans, you're not dealing with edges, with, with limitations. And so there can be this eternal pumping of, of um, being and essence going as many directions as you want because you're dealing with infinities. So Hebrews 1 is quoting Psalm 110, which is an eternally true statement of the Father to the Son, which, and there will never be a time, nor has there ever been a time into eternity past, when God the Father could not make the statement that he makes in Psalm 110. It's, it's, a, it's actually, it's the same reason that God's name, uh, that he gives himself, is Yahweh. It's a statement of, of being. It's some form of the be verb, and it means the one who bees, like the one who just eternally is. It's a statement of the eternal present. Right? Before Abraham was born, I am. Well, that's some weird grammar. How's that even possible to have grammar like that? It should be before Abraham was born, I was. But he's saying before Abraham was born, I am Yahweh. I still am. It's, it's a statement of the eternal present. And so when the God the Father says, today I have begotten you, that's a statement of the eternal present as well because the, the uh, Trinity is eternal as seen in John 1. Thoughts? Well, I- you want to tidy that up for me? No, I, I I don't know if I can add anything as far as tidying it up. I'm I'm 
yeah, I don't want to process this in, on the air. <laughs> That's probably not it's wise. A, it's a deep one, so, man. It is. And and the discussion of Christ, it's it's important that we do have our 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 terms correct because again, this is this is the one doctrine, well not the the one, but this is probably the most common doctrine, the doctrine of Christ that your cults will mess with big time. And so, you know, that the, that's why there is such careful discussion, even on the idea of begotten, not made. Mm-hmm. Right. He, so he's, he's begotten from the father, but he was not made. That's a Nicene right? creed right there. Yeah. yeah. You know, and you have, and so when we have all of these discussions, we want to really, really be really clear. And, and, and they, was that Nicaea or was that Athanasian? I, think I, I get them mixed up. Okay. I think it's Let's Nicaea. go with that. So in all of that, that's, so I rather I'd rather not work out my theology for the benefit of you, dear listener. So, in all of that, we would invite you to uh, give us a follow on on your favorite podcast catcher, whether that be Spotify or if you're a boomer like myself, <laughs> Apple Podcasts. You can give us a rating if you think we deserve it five uh, five stars, please. If you think it is worthy of such a accolade. And also share this with folks. And um, finally, I think Dustin would like to leave you with a particular principle. The fact, the eternal fact, that Jesus, the eternal Son of God, deserves disciples. And you know what I realized, by the way, this morning? I realized that, because I was like, okay, we're going to go and record a podcast episode today. And I thought, the iPod might not even exist anymore. And yet this whole, we call it a podcast, this whole industry spun up around this thing that it has now outlasted. Yes. Interesting. So like 150 years from now, they'll be like, what's the etymology of the word podcast? I know broadcast, but what's a pod? And then they're going to look it up and, you know, assuming that there's still technology at that point, that Jesus hasn't come back and we haven't nuked each other into oblivion and we all have four eyes and, uh, (laughs) and AI is not running the world. And we're going to look it up and say, there used to be a thing called an iPod. Interesting. So, this will live in infamy. I, I definitely accidentally hit that button. I reached over there and it was like too late. Hungry for Wisdom is a ministry of grace and truth community in West Richland, Washington. She bailed us out. You can find out more about us on our app, social media, or at graceandtruthcommunity.com. We love him because he first loved us. <laughs>